Welcome to the Price Hall Podcast. It is March 1st of 2023, and we are honored to have Alan Sudberg of Alchemist Labs here. We met over LinkedIn, where uh, on your profile picture, you have an image that says con- control group, and uh, your pronouns are, your, you go as uh, told slash you slash so. So I think we know where this is going to go in a, in a bit, but uh, we're really, really interested about the testing that you're doing yeah. in Alchemist Labs. So yeah. welcome to the show, and uh, please introduce yourself. Yeah. So uh, first, thank you. Uh, thanks for identifying me for who I am. <laughs> Big one right there. Let's just get, jump to it. Uh, my name is Alon Sedrick, CEO of Alchemist Labs. We are a 26 or 27, I don't even know anymore, 26, 27 year old uh, independent testing lab, uh, father and son owns. Uh, it's basically everything I've done since high school and all I know. Um, we are basically plant and fungus cops. We make sure people have the right uh, raw ingredients or those raw ingredients got into the finished products or the finished product sellers are selling the right materials. Um, we test all the plants, all the fungi, the psychedelic ones, the legal ones, chamomile, cannabis, mushrooms, uh, legally. We have a federal ability to do that. And then we also um, have a nice new program to help brands uh, show their high quality to consumers at the consumer level, which is called Alchemist Assured. So that's the newest push that we have here. Wow. I'm super curious about so much, um, but well, I think one of the th- biggest things I want to set the tone of the conversation is that one of the things that I try to impress upon people all the time is that even though you buy a fancy product in a store, which is seemingly trustworthy, um, there is very little that you can openly trust on its own. Um, and I think what, when I when I heard about Alchemist Labs, I, I had heard about how outspoken you were about these kinds of things. And and I really, I relate to that and I appreciate that because there's a lot of very like buttoned up labs in the industry, um, yeah. very corporate uh, and, you know, I respect sometimes, you know, you have to be a PR firm and everything, but I think that we have a, a very pressing issue in the industry. Uh, and, yep. and I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited yep. to talk about literally everything you just brought up, <laughs> the, the psychedelics to the botanicals, to the assurance for brands. I, I think yep. we got a lot to, to get over in the next hour. Right. So and obviously a lot of our uh, followers are going to be sports nutrition, but it sounds yep. like, so for right off the bat, you are mostly into botanicals or at least like very heavy into the well, mushroom world. Right. Correct. No, and botanicals, uh, botanicals, 2,000 different botanicals and fungi. So we don't test uh, minerals, proteins. Um, we don't do, uh, much, unfortunately, much in the sports industry that doesn't have a botanical. But obviously, a lot of the sports supplement industry is now bringing in adaptogens and other things. And the mushroom, the shroom boom is pretty big uh, and coming to your space pretty quick as well. So um, get we had a We had a huge growth of like um, nootropic botanicals mm-hmm. over the last few yeah. years like alpinia galanga and, and yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff yeah. um so it's funny because on our on our intro call you know you kind of uh downplayed how much you do with sports nutrition but i i imagine it's it's grown over the last few years yeah i, I guess in my head i think protein and amino acids and you know uh, those types of the, the powders and large uh, aggressively named uh, containers that we don't really touch much of those but a lot of those like you mentioned a lot of those companies are putting the, the botanical ingredients in there so if there's an extract of apilio gallangol almost guaranteed it came through my lab from some either grower or ingredient supplier or contract manufacturer we made sure it was in fact the correct genus species plant part and even quality or contamination levels and then it went to that finished product that i don't test one of the things that i, I really am interested in that you're kind of talking about and, and we can go any direction with this mike if you have a direction you want to take this but the, one of the pressing things that we brought up in our intro call was um the idea of these botanicals you know standardized for a certain thing but it not actually even being uh from that source just a synthesized ingredient and yeah. you know we brought up dna testing and, and you kind of I, I am not an expert at this at all 
Uh, it's just my understanding. And, and you had brought up, well, maybe DNA testing isn't really feasible for these types of things because some of them don't even have DNA right. left over in them at that point. Correct. Now, I, I am not an expert in DNA analysis, uh, but we actually did spend about a million dollars trying to be experts in it. Um, quick, long story short, there was a uh, former and disgraced attorney general, Schneiderman, who uh, woke up, attacked um, online gambling, uh, student loan debt, which is, that's pretty cool, and then also dietary supplements. And he hired a herpetologist DNA expert, so a guy that studies lizards and genetics lizards, to analyze a bunch of supplements on major store shelves. We're talking big, big brands. Um, and as we see it, about 75, maybe even 80% of the material we test are extracts. So extracts, like Lipton Ice Tea, as an example, is an extract of tea. It's basically chemicals from tea dried into some substrate, and then you dissolve it in water. And so there's very little DNA left in that. Now, as I understand, I think the DNA technology has come far uh, since that attack. And now there's better access to doing DNA even on extracts. It still is, still is probably in its infancy stage. Long story short, there was a lab that was doing this testing for the industry. Actually, I should back up. The testing that they deployed was flawed. Uh, they made a big stink about it. New York Times ran the article, of course, never retracted it successfully, and basically said that this stuff is all failing. And uh, big brands were hurt. I mean, big brands were severely hurt by this flawed testing. Um, we quickly went out to grab those same bottles and brands and were able to get a few of them. And, and we were able to see some of the stuff that they said there was not in there because we tested it the right way. So right method, right results. Um, DNA has a huge uh, future, I think, in testing botanicals. We actually hoped to bring it in at some point in time, and we were forced because there was a lab that was doing it, and people wanted us to do it instead of them. And so we brought in about a half a million dollars of equipment and spent another half a million dollars trying to get the technology launched and ready. Um, about a few months after we decided to get rid of the equipment and cancel the third team, um, the original basically author of a study that pioneered this technology was was uh, involved in a scandal about his data was actually not correct and it was flawed and it was um, you know fraudulent and so it makes a lot of sense as to why we can never get it to work um fast forward there's still a few industries or companies in this industry that do it right but they combine it with the testing that we do as well so you can look at the dna plus the phytochemical profile or fungal chemical profile to identify a plant um, but yeah, but there, there's very little DNA in extracts. And so it's really hard to deploy this, um, you know, shiny, shiny object of lab testing, uh, to much of the industry. Also, it doesn't tell plant part. So if you were buying ashwagandha roots and there's leaf in it, you'll never know. And then I can sell you rotten tomato, ripe tomato, green tomato, DNA is the same all the way through. So it doesn't assess quality. It's just, is it, or is it not period the end? So it leaves the, the buyer kind of hanging if you're only using that one technology. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot. Yeah. I was just going to say, so yeah, we wrote about uh, Schneiderman. This was in March of uh -huh. 2015. Yeah. And I updated the post in May 8th of 2018 when he uh, yeah. had to resign after four accusations of extremely racist sexual abuse. So um, yeah. Th yeah, there was that funny update. Yeah. But yeah. so overall, though, let's let's to, let's pull it back a little bit. Like, let's get a little education um, in sports nutrition. Of course, cordyceps is obviously yeah. a popular mushroom species. Yeah. So let's say that I'm looking at a cordyceps I have some cordyceps here. Like, what are my care abouts and how do you approach um, testing them and like qualifying a, yeah. a, a cordyceps that I'm holding in my hand here? Yeah. So, I mean, identity is really critical. Obviously, if you, you from a lab's perspective, you want to make sure you have the right stuff before you go testing all the other stuff. So I can look for metals, pesticides, microbiological contaminants, and residual solvents in the stuff called cordyceps. But if it's not cordyceps, it doesn't really matter. You're not selling cordyceps. So the first step in GMP, good manufacturing, testing is uh, identity testing. And we do that with HPTLC, 
which is high performance thin layer chromatography, basically similar to DNA analysis that you'd see in like a crime, um, a CSI document where you see like the bands and you can see murderer or father or whatever you're looking at. Uh, it's phytochemicals or fungal chemicals. The bands are basically come up and they, they match each other uh, and you have a match uh, of a genus species or just a genus in some case. So we deploy uh, HPTLC to identify cordyceps um, from other species of mushrooms or even poor quality cordyceps cut with um, you know, a substrates or even mostly mycelial mass uh, in some cases. Now, I should say that there's two camps in the fungal world. There's the above ground part, which is the mushroom, and then there's the below ground part, which is the mycelial mass. And there's the, the two camps um, both believe each other is wrong or some version of that. Uh, and then there's also some other um, brands that are basically mixing everything in there. You One can test things in other things. So cordyceptic acid, I believe, is the primary, what we're looking for in cordyceps. Um, it may not be um, up to date on what now is the you know the celebrated uh, the magic uh, chemical that, uh, of cordyceps, but um, really identity is first. Potency is really critical because you can have the right stuff, but if it's basically you know a, t a peach that tastes like nothing, no one's going to buy your peaches again. And so that flavor profile is a chemical profile. And as you know, you can buy a peach out of season at big box retailers, and they'll be like this big. And there'll be another peach inside and it'll never rot on your on your countertop where you can buy peach in season by the time you get home it's ready for pie uh and you know it tastes like like a dream both are peaches by genetics and by hbtlc you can see that fraction versus something that's missing just two bands one band um and then obviously contamination um a lot of the plants uh on earth are bio remediators so basically they pull up things from the ground they pull things from the air and they they give it to you later. And so there are rules uh, around pesticide contamination, uh, residual solvents for extracts, how much is left over uh, from the original solvent. In the solvent world, I mean, they use ethanol and methanol and basically, you know, alcohol that you could drink all the way up to very, very toxic chemicals that are necessary to pull out compounds. But, and they're supposed to um, gas off, like go away, uh, but there's rep residuals. And so we test for residual solvents to make sure that's all gone. And then obviously microbiological contamination is pretty important. You can get massive um, health crisis uh, from those alone. Um, and so metals, pesticides, microbiome, and residual are the, the other contaminants. So it's really identity, potency, and um, contamination are the things that we test now. So what part of that are, would you consider to be the concern right now? Like, like how much of that is passing frequently and how much of that isn't? So it's interesting that identity, You can, like I said, you can have a peach and it could be a peach, but it may not be good. And, I, you know, Beauty is in the eye of the holder, right? And so quality is also in the eye of the contract manufacturer in the sense that they can buy stuff, pass it with a very simple ID test, but never assess the quality. And, you know, worst case scenario, I'm sorry, best worst case scenario is you won't get return sales. It won't work. Worst worst case scenario is people die. Now that hasn't happened in our industry uh, in all of my time. Um, and, uh, you know, when we actually started the lab, we started the lab after the FDA reacted to, uh, 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 uh adulteration. Actually it was contamination where people took plantsiolata, um, it was basically a product that worked on the gut and instead of gut, it was a product that worked on the heart. And so people actually had heart issues and ended up in the hospital. Um, that hasn't happened again. Uh, last year there was a congressman's wife, I don't know if you recall this, who, uh, died and the, um, coroner blamed white mulberry leaf on the death and they said that they found a piece about this big of white mulberry leaf in her stomach and caught and and, and basically cause of death was poisoning by white mulberry leaf um 
we the industry saw that and responded very quickly like one pick a pick a better herb to kill someone with because that one has been used for thousands of years in fact a friend of mine who pioneered some of the rebuttal that made it a point to eat it every single day while he was working on his rebuttal like with he cook it with eggs in the morning and it's just like spinach essentially he's like i'm still here that's that's bs um i actually wrote and talked to the journalist at kaiser news kaiser health news and said look if you had um given me that leaf would i be and i'm a you know a, a world-renowned microscopist i mean that's what i cut my teeth on in this lab i spent the first 15 or so years sit at a microscope looking at identifying plants i've taught courses all over the country um i have people now that do it for me but uh published a bunch of places so i if you gave me that leaf i wouldn't have been able to identify it as white mulberry leaf i guarantee it and so the fact that they picked that out and blame that herb was bs um so my point was no one has died from herbs or herbal supplements and you know i, I i've been um cut from podcasts for saying this but people die in the moment that i'm saying these words from pharmaceuticals by the hundreds or maybe thousands uh a day uh you know it's a different scale of course but these are all fda approved safe drugs right and people are dying every day from them uh and yet we've got herbs and we're picking on herbs i mean it's it's silly i mean even cannabis there you know which part of it is now banned by the dea or the fda we've teenagers have been using this for thousands of years we're fine <laughs> we we've survived and yet they're still making a big fuss about it yet there's other things that are mandated that are telling people um so i don't know i think it's it, there's quite some the backwardness in this in this world today and herbal medicine has been under attack since uh you know um allopathic medicine woke up it's been the alternative medicine to our you know to other things and and again has a, a wonderful uh success rate of not killing people i don't so, think you'll find any people disagreeing with you on this podcast or no, in our viewership no. here yes yeah. and I, especially i mean when you look at the on how it actually defines dietary supplement when you talk about botanicals like right there was a really great po a point last week at the uh sans summit for sports and active nutrition about the fact that uh they're, they're speaking about cannabis on the cbd panel but it applies to a lot of botanicals they've been around longer than we have yes uh, and they'll probably be here past us as well yes exactly. uh, so totally agree with you on there yeah <laughs> Yeah, I have one quick like housekeeping question is: uh, do do you have access to some of those uh, articles or the things that were published, or the videos of that guy? Because I'd love to put them in the show notes of the uh, of the, the research. Yeah, oh, I don't have videos of my friend uh, eating the mulberry leaf, but uh, I can I can definitely get you some stuff on that for sure. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And it was funny is the rebuttal was written and I was cited on it, and so was that guy. And like, look, you know, my and I said like the coroner did a bad job, and they sent it to. Uh, um, someone a researcher at uc davis i mean it's not a um, new university they, they have good people and i'm not here to disparage that person but they got it wrong um and, and even if they did find that that much mulberry leaf is not toxic so my suspicion is the unfortunate um i think her name was carrie i think she was probably taking some sort of diet pills you know and diet pills that are bought from the internet could have other chemicals in it a lot of times people throw in uh, pharmaceutical or active uh, APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients. So, um, sibutramine, as an example, is a weight loss pharmaceutical. I believe that was once FDA approved <laughs> and safe, and now it's banned. And people have been known to put it in diet pills. And let's say she took that and had something else going on, that would be a re reasonable cause for death. But that was all swept under the rug, and we don't talk about it. Uh, and that article was published, and that was that. But I'll, I'll send some, something to you. Testing it yeah, as a yeah. fool. Um, sorry, Mike, but it, it seems like over the time that i've been in the industry there's been a few different times where testing has been used for a massive point uh and the people running the testing simply did not understand how to properly run the testing uh, or yeah uh, it's yeah. interesting to me like i remember 
uh, if you guys remember Labdoor of like yeah. five years ago, like they were running these huge posts on on rating brands, and it turned out they didn't even know how to test like very simple things. Like I, I know you don't test amino acids, but my understanding is we understand them quite well. It shouldn't be a yeah. problem to be able to test for right. them. Um, is there a reason why there's so much discrepancy in the testing industry? Hmm. You know, uh, plants are challenging. Um, you know, chemists are born to test chemicals, and chemicals generally isolated or you know, by themselves plants have thousands of them uh, and they're trapped in cells with sugar and tannins and all sorts of other stuff so you know we've been doing plant analysis mushroom analysis since you know almost 30 years now there are other labs that that realize that there's there's game here and they've they've either tried to crush us or acquire us and you know i use this uh this is my my banner all the time you know this is my life uh big lab versus me all the time i don't know if you guys can see that in the video it's it's david and goliath sorry i'm not sure if you can see that but so anyways, uh, the challenge is that there are labs that do everything. They test tilapia, they test uh, leather dyes. Um, some of them test, uh, you know, kitchen utensils. Uh, you can't do everything perfect. You can't do everything great. Um, pick, pick an area genius and stay there is my, is my opinion. And so we know plants. We know how they work. Um, back to that Steinerman thing, you know, the herpetologist uh, geneticist was probably a really great herpetologist geneticist, but animals... Um, are much more simple from the genetic world than plants. I mean, mint and lemon will figure it out someday and they'll be like a minty lemon. This happens. I mean, cluots and all the various fruit that we have nowadays, they're promiscuous, they pollen, they do their thing. An iguana and a dog will never figure that out. Maybe in a different country with different ethics rules and, and you know, <laughs> weird labs. But the fact is, uh, when you're testing iguanas, it's iguana and it's newt and it's gecko. Apple... Uh, has a, a millions of different, not maybe not millions, but thousands of different varieties. Uh, mint and spearmint are very, very similar chemically, uh, chemically, with exception of like one chemical, a uh, menthol. That's that's how you differentiate them in the lab. So, it is pretty common that people think that they can quickly just jump into plant identity testing um, and do a good job. But the fact is, there's no true criteria for what is Echinacea angustifolia root. We say your echinacea angustifolia root has phytochemicals from Profile X that match the phytochemical fingerprint of our reference material from Profile X. But if you don't compare the right profile or if you don't um, consider the variety that nature produces, you could, you know, um, wrongfully pass, wrongfully fail things. Um, and so it is It is a nuanced approach. It's probably why we're still here and haven't been, um, you know, pr um, you know, crushed uh, into obsolescence, uh, which is, has been basically the threat for many, many years. Right. I guess that, to follow up, like, so a lot of times I've seen, at least for like the mineral testing, there's standards there. There's, like, yeah. you know, published ways of testing for yeah. various uh, vitamin D and the metabolites right. and stuff. Yeah. You are there. So have you had to pioneer your own methods sometimes yeah. or like yeah. the reference materials? Do you have to keep that on hand or is it? Yeah. So we have, uh, so yeah. So caffeine is an example. It's very easy to test caffeine, right. uh, pure caffeine, even just pure white powder caffeine. There's like probably 15 accepted methods to do that with an HPLC or even UV or other things. Uh, you put caffeine in a different products with other ingredients, there's no method for that. Now, unfortunately, um, I'll say uh, substandard companies will, will appeal to ignorance, be like, well, I guess there's no method for it. I guess I'll just use the paper trail and we're good to go. And that's trust, which I'm not a huge fan of trust. I'm a huge fan of verifying. Um, with, with the plants, it's definitely different. Um, we have in a, a room in our facility and you were both Welcome anytime. Um, we're in Orange County. Love doing lab tours and lunches. The room is called an herbarium. You might see it at the Smithsonian Museum or University of California, uh, Los Angeles, UCLA has one. World-renowned herbariums, millions of accessions, every plant on the planet, grasses, palm trees. 
we have one with about 20,000 specimens uh, from 2,000 species of herbs on site. And it's a it's a big room. It's, you know, a little bigger than this, this uh, office space. Um, it's kept cool. And it's basically just accessions that we've tested and passed for years and years and years. So what that gives us is the knowledge, both, um, you know, mentally, but also backed up on servers of what Echinacea angustifolia root should look like for almost 30 years of the industry's Echinacea angustifolia root. So when we get a sample and and we fail it and the customer goes back to who they bought it from, and they bought it from someone who says, well, we tested it past. Where's your data packet? They give us a data packet, some garbage chromatograph using the wrong standards, the wrong method. I mean, if I looked at um, ginkgo leaf with a root method and pass, and I wouldn't see the ginkgo leaf compounds, I would pass it, you know, basically ignorantly to the wrong spec. And that's something we see quite often People who don't understand chromatography are basically using the wrong methods on the wrong plants, even the wrong plant parts. And ignorance is bliss. I mean, you just pass it because it looks, looks you know, fuzzy here, must look fuzzy there. It's like saying all red fruit are tomatoes, but there's other red fruit. Um, and so it, it's a nuanced approach and you do have to have reference samples, which is one hard thing for labs to acquire. Um, there are methods for echinacea and gusplayer root. Uh, there's very few of them. There's not, there's not every, not every uh, botanical is covered. And like you said, we do have to uh, develop methods our own, which we've been doing for many, many years. So we're actual ISO 17025 accredited for all plants uh, and fungi uh, by HPTLC and microscopy because we have so many that we can't possibly be ISO accredited for each individual single one. So basically identity by uh, HPTLC micro for all plants and fungi under the sun and under the water, which is makes us pretty quite special. So I imagine, I, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but... How often are you faced with a challenge where you, like someone's asking you to test something and you just don't have any background on this? And I, right. I, I assume that like, like with Atkins diets and a lot of fads in this industry, everything's very cyclical, but like I, I mentioned Alpina Glanca before, there seems to have been a surgence of new compounds coming to the market. How yeah. often do you need to phone a friend or something? Yeah. So we have botanists that work for us all the planet. Um, so if we needed a plant that comes from Ecuador. We have a botanist in South America that we, you have to wait till the spring in the flowering stage. They'll go to the fields and they'll um, find the plant. And you originally key plants based on the flower and the flower parts. So if it's out of season, you can't do it that way. Um, but they'll we'll have uh, botanists all around the world to, to get us a reference material. So let's say you send us this plant that your buddy found in his trip to Nepal and you want to start testing for it. And this has actually happened. And uh, a resin ball from Nepal and it makes your, and you know, we're like, okay, well, uh, um, and there's no reference material. How am I going to compare it? You have to compare X to, to X, right? So we would have to wait until we can find a reference material. Uh, in absence of that, what we can do is to say your stuff that you call X matches other things that we found in the market called X, and at least there's some consistency of that. And you can kind of perpetuate that. Um, as far as new chemicals go, you know, when I want to test caffeine and green tea, we buy uh, pure caffeine from a, you know, VWR or Chrominex or extrasynthase or whatever it is. Um, that has been tested and known of purity. We use that and our, our HPLCs to, as a reference standard. Now, let's say you come back to me and say, well, I've got peak X. Well, what the hell is peak X? And that's a thing we've, we've had to measure with, with you know, um, we started the lab right when I, I was like 17. So I was just getting in high school, entering college, studying chemistry. And I would bring my organic chemistry professors, these reports that we were trying to like figure out. He was like, this is not the name the, the naming convention of of a molecule follows a, a process and people were showing up to my lab can you measure this with these strange names isobarbrin alkaloid like iso 
bare brain alkalosis are three different things and the molecule that they were asking this test didn't resemble those three things so it was bullshit um and so it, it is a challenge we have to have a standard to, to test a thing a, a number and sometimes the uh the standards aren't available so there are entities that will actually go and extract them extrasynthase as an example a french company we work with will go and you can pay them to isolate and extract and, and purify a compound uh, so that you can then verify that crazy compound that someone said they had um, but that is that's a challenge for sure it's it's not always though we don't get that too often um your industry this sports cell industry seems to be pretty pretty fun uh, you know excited about new compounds and and definitely challenges the labs in the in the field with with the innovation that's you know goes pretty fast yeah we, we work with a number of different brands that are pushing it in terms of innovation we also work with some ingredient companies um over the last couple of years that have come with these new um ingredients and it's funny because you can kind of tell the quality of the contract manufacturer when they're like, hold up. I have no clue how to test that. I'm not willing yeah. to manufacture that. Right. There's six brands already with it on the market. Yeah. How did yeah. that get right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, everyone it's wants to be wild. Yeah. And so the FDA is, you know, um, in the case of my business, my best friend, they're understaffed. There's no cops at the stop sign. People are speeding past it every day, and that's kind of the unfortunate situation that they need extra budget for uh, extra agents on the ground to test the quality of stuff. In the meantime, all the cheaters are going to continue cheating until they get busted. And and the guys behind these companies, um, you know, I've met some really amazing and eccentric characters in our industry um, uh, that, that I have helped make millions because I've been able to qualify the material successfully and help them be standalone from the others. Um, but you know they 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 fly by nights a lot of times. This is not the industry. This is a very small part of the industry that are these people that basically jump in, sell some crazy ingredient, jump out, never have come back. They're off to doing some other entrepreneurial thing with the rest of their money. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, labs are constantly chasing innovation. Um, you know, I consider myself a marketing guy with a chemistry degree. That's how I identify as a human um, marketing guy. Or you know, told you so as well. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that's that's the new one but uh marketing guy with chemistry degree and i and i will say it on stage like the marketing teams are sometimes the biggest problem of companies because they're so far ahead of what is possible to back up actually make correctly and stable you know they have these ideas of pills within pills of bills well that doesn't always that's a hard thing to get a, a a pill inside a liquid pill and there's only a few big brands that actually do it right um but these ideas are hard and and sometimes they don't work out and sometimes the, the pills break open in, in shipping and whatnot and or sometimes we market things that there's no way to actually prove it's there. You know, some of these brands have, you know, hundreds of ingredients. Um, they're no longer in therapeutic doses. We call that fairy dusting in our industry. Uh, and there's only, only one reason in there is, you know, raspberry ketones are pretty sexy. Let's put them in there, even though there's not even enough to one find and measure. And the unfortunate thing is that any, you know, trial attorney could take that lab, that product to a lab and say, do your best to find this product or find this ingredient. They fail it. And then, you know, it's lawyer time, and basically you're just basically giving your money from lawyer to lawyer, uh, and that's that happens uh, pretty often. That you know, lab like products are challenged, and they can't actually back up what's on that label because they've gone way too far with the marketing guys and had proprietary blend after proprietary blend after proprietary blend. Have you I, have you been used as an expert witness in cases like that? We have a couple times. We shy away from that. Uh, we we early on in our lab days, we were countersued um, by for doing that, and that was back when it was just my father and I. It was like. I mean, I'll, I think I could say now, you know, the trim spa, uh, the Hootia days, um, you know, they they were unfortunately selling material that was not 
what it said to be and we were an expert witness and they turn around and sued everyone and back then it was like fifteen thousand dollars to have my lawyer just talk to their lawyers a bunch of times and that was you know that almost sank our ship back in the day this is you know very early on the lab so we proceed with caution with those cases um generally those cases will go to like uh universities they seem to have more establishment uh, or more um legit uh, legitimacy in the court for some reason but yeah, so occasionally we'll do that, but we sh- we kind of shy away from it because it generally gets us into trouble somehow. Gotcha. Thanks. So one thing that we've uh, so you are kind of seeing products before they are products in a perfect yeah. world and everything. So one thing that we've been talking a lot about on this podcast is trends in general. Are you yeah. have you caught any trends over the last like year or two that um, that catch your eye at all? And it well, doesn't need to be sports nutrition. Yeah. Well, I mean, just with COVID, um, you know, there are those of us that uh, try to stay healthy and and keep our bodies ready to do what they do, which is fight bugs. I mean, the three of us right now are fighting off disease and infection as we speak. It's when our immune systems get tired that they let the bugs in and they win. So with COVID, we saw a lot of folks really leaning into the immune system herbs and immune system vitamins. Um, you know, we, we couldn't say back then that vitamin D was going to help you, but we all knew it. And now this reports are coming out a little bit late, right? It's too bad we all sheltered inside and didn't take our vitamin D because I, I believe very strongly that had the public known about that, there would have been millions of people who didn't die of whatever they died from. Um, but yeah, the elderberry, um, push was pretty, pretty huge. And of course, when that happened, uh, we were, uh, we were testing a lot of elderberry failing a lot of elderberry, uh, because of supply chain demand issues. There was no elderberry because of shipping challenges. Folks had to go find new elderberry. And, and as a result, the elderberry adulteration went through the roof. Uh, it was definitely the most popular herb we were testing at that time. Um, at some point in time, we, um, one of our customers saw reports online that were ours, but they were it. And so people were basically fraudulent, um, uh, um, taking our reports and, um, adulterating our reports, changing lot numbers, changing results, changing dates. And, you know, customers sent it to us, we can see very clearly that it was not accurate. And we're actually working with a blockchain company right now to try to sort that out and make sure it doesn't happen again. But, um, we paid our lawyers money to, to send a cease and desist letter, desist letter to three different addresses in China. There's no recourse of course to that. And then a mere two weeks later, we got hacked in ransomware and we were shut down for two weeks. And the FDA, FDA was here. The FBI was here. Homeland Security was here because of the two things that kind of happened around the same time. It was a little peculiar, right? It was almost like a retaliatory attack. There's no evidence to, to confirm that. And I actually got to hand a computer to an FBI agent in a parking lot, which was kind of like on my bucket list. <laughs> uh, not, not, and this all happened like right in the middle of early COVID where everyone was really, really afraid and uh, it was just a mess. So um, yeah, that was a strange time. So, you know, the trends of immune system have not stopped. We usually have um, weight loss season and and cold and flu season. It's been cold and flu season for about three years. Um, And we're still seeing a, you know, constant testing of those herbs. And now the mushrooms have sort of been rebranded. They've been here for millions of years and thousands of years in trade. Suddenly the shrimp boom is, is excited everyone to take their mushrooms again. And so that's fantastic. I truly believe in them. I've been taking them forever. Um, but, uh, that's another issue, you know, the mushroom craze or folks are, they get supply chain demand, um, and, and adulteration and fortification, all pushing the immune aspect of basically making sure you're healthy enough so you don't really have to rely on the, the government, uh, prescribed, um, regimens. So I, I wouldn't be Ben if I didn't bring this up. You talked about psilocybin at the beginning of this podcast, and we're rounding out the second half, so it's about time for yeah. you. I, I was waiting. I, 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 I wait for the second half. Yeah, I wait for the second half of the podcast before I start. Yes. 
How how much more have you been dealing with that? I'm I'm fascinated by the subject. I'm fascinated by yeah. the possible decriminalization, everything, and right yeah. ratio. I'm I'm I'm, you know, yeah. I, I'm not admitting to anything on this podcast, but I'd love to hear. All I that. will. It's a it's a <laughs> subject near dear to my heart. It's you know I was raised Orthodox Jewish. Never bought a second of it. Uh, always enjoyed the stories and the morals, but I've always been into nature and uh, you know took psychedelics very early. I have two little kids now, and the thought of them taking what I took at the age I took it makes me want to. <laughs> so real for my trash can, but um, it worked out okay for me. Um, we have this rare DEA registration, DEA, we schedule one, two, three, and in four. So basically we have the federally legal right to test any plant, any substance. Uh, we have a cabinet in a cabinet in a room in a room in the lab uh, where we keep very tiny little micro ampules. You can't even, you wouldn't be able to get anything from them. They're in alcohol and whatever. Um, the challenge to that is we ha can only work with folks who have the equivalent receiving end of that. So like, let's say you find some psilocybin mushrooms, you want to test them, I can't work for you because federally you have no right to have that stuff. Unfortunately, the same applies to cannabis. Recreational cannabis is federally illegal. So I've watched that cannabis bus drive by every day. Um, we touched hemp. We do, actually today we got a bag this big, you can't see a humongous bag of hemp uh, from local authorities. Basically we do low, over below testing on on hemp farms. They want to make sure the hemp guys are hemp guys and not recreational guys. So we the only customers I have right now in the hemp area is the feds, which is just amazing and funny. Um, we do some work. We have done some work for, with psilocybin, uh, oddly for a company in Canada. And there's a bunch of projects in the in the works um, to to help make sure people have the correct you know starting material, uh, correct strength and ingredients. Uh, same thing with uh, we did some ayahuasca work, uh, which is you know cool. the grandfather of uh, of psychedelics. I think what Joe Rogan said it was like times a thousand plus aliens or something or, you know, <laughs> you know um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, you know, here's a, this is actually a piece of, uh, Banisteriopsis capi. It's a piece of the vine that is one of the two ingredients of, of ayahuasca, another, um, substance near and dear to my heart. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just honored to be a small part in the quality testing of that. Unfortunately, the biggest part of that industry is not federally legal. And so there's a whole bunch of them that are basically, you know, doing, no, it's possible to have a lab of your own and do the right quality work. Um, the legit labs are generally better because they don't have to hide and be scared and buy the correct reference standards from the correct company, not have to isolate and make it themselves. I'm not saying it's impossible to do it without being federally legal, but it's generally better. But unfortunately, I can't service them because they uh, don't qualify under our uh, the rules that we have to play. Um, but that's the, what's interesting about that industry, and unlike the cannabis industry, that the pharmaceutical industry really didn't touch cannabis. I mean, I understand Pfizer just had a big placement in some sort of cannabis company, which is pretty interesting. Meanwhile, CBD is being sort of regulated out of our industry. So it's going away here and coming in over there, which is no surprise uh, to this to us in this call. Um, but pharma is very interested in psychedelics um, because there, there's a lot of promise uh, of, of interesting, you know, uh, benefits. Um, you know, there's a study a while back about uh, psilocybin and alcoholism, and it, I mean, it had remarkable results. Unlike any pharmaceutical drug that is on the market today, um, deemed self safe and effective. I mean, the numbers of actual success rates were 10 times that in the psychedelic uh, or in the psilocybin study for alcoholism. Um, so like smoking cessation, addiction issues. Um, ayahuasca is called, you know, 10,000 hours of therapy in one hour for a reason. You take it once, you don't want to take it again for a long time. Uh, it's not something that you're going to go back and take every day before work or every night when you get home. It's, there's nothing addictive about it. Even mushrooms, I mean, lab animals won't come back. <laughs> They'll go back for sugar. They go back for cocaine, for alcohol, for for caffeine. But when they take uh, a strong psychedelic, they're like, 
We're good. Thank you. Something I find really interesting. So I live in Princeton, New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia and over the border. Philly, there's a lot of psychedelic therapy uh, Mm. offerings, uh, but they are almost exclusively ketamine trials. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I don't know. To to me, I'm very um, passionate about the natural quality of mushrooms. Like, I don't need to tell you any of this, but so much of humans' evolution is tied very closely to psychedelic mushrooms. Yep. Uh, And to me, it seems like humans and fungus are intertwined in yes. the way that we help each other, right? Yeah. I don't understand for the life of me why ketamine is getting so popular as a horse tranquilizer. Like it just yeah. seems counter yeah. to everything. I have never taken myself. I know people who have and have benefited from it. I know people who are running ketamine clinics. I know uh, several individuals from my industry who have moved over there and uh, moved like to that category of, of the industry. I have a suspicion that it's it's a easier because it's a pure pharmaceutical chemical right and it's it's easier to test it's pure pharmaceutical chemical caffeine is like the easiest thing in the whole world to test vitamin c no question about it mushrooms you know how do you know if that's the right thing how do you in the in the the dosage of of mushrooms to, is varied based upon a lot of variables like i said peaches out of season are still peaches right and so mushrooms may have the disc dose and so when you get into like the world of medical treatment you want consistent dosage and so i think that that's my suspicion is why ketamine has been so popular um because it's available it's synthesized it's you know it's easy to identify there's probably labs in canada that are saying yes to it making sure it's legit all all day long um whereas mushrooms ayahuasca there's these other sort of nuances to the natural end of it and it's hard for any researcher to publish paper with results where the the dmt harmony level were varied depending on the brew which is dependent upon the the location of where these materials grew, how they grew, when they were picked, how they were dried, how long they were stewed together. All of these things are challenges, you know, and I, I think my fear is that big pharma is going to try to make pharmawaska in a sense. They're going to try to pull out those two chemicals. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried one of these fortified joints with THC crack, whatever crap is on these things. It's not the same. You know, smoking a THC heavy joint is not the same as smoking a bowl of, of flour. It's, it's a completely different experience. In fact, one that I have tried once or twice and said, no thanks, I'm not going back to this shatter and the waxes, all these crazy things. Uh, and so I don't I don't believe that you can actually get the same effect from pharmawaska as you could from actually drinking the thick, nasty molasses brew uh, and having the actual experience that it perhaps was intended. Same for mushrooms. You know, it's not just psilocybin. Uh, or psilocin, there's other compounds in there that play together and that synergistic effect that, you know, the cannabis industry coined the entourage effect. Well, prior to that, it was the synergistic effect of all the botanicals. It's not echinecocide, it's all the echinacea compounds, uh, you know, in there, not cordyceptic acid, it's cordyceps to the whole, um, which, you know, when, when you extract a plant, you take out a bunch of stuff. So it's not just one single chemical. So the other thing with pharmaceuticals is they like their subscription models. They don't want you to take one thing and be done. And psychedelics are not a subscription model. I mean, you can microdose uh, on a regular basis, but no one's going to make a bunch of money from that. Mushrooms grow in shit for <laughs> free all over the world, uh, even in you know the cold places or the warm places. So it's not. I don't know if it's going to. They're going to ever push the raw material. Which my concern is they'll find synthetic or or create synthetic versions of these so they can control. Yeah. And then of course you know the path is to make the natural part illegal so they can sell their legal versions of it, um, which we'll see what happens. But. I mean, I'm amazed at how many small pharma companies are actively interested in, you know, prominently branding and marketing these therapies with illegal ingredients. 
uh, somehow through through the professional channel of you know this, uh, psychotherapy and DEA regulations, and they're doing it, and it's becoming more prevalent, which is I think fascinating. The world needs it. I would say that for sure, more now than ever before. I had some suspicions that just because of culturally wise, uh, mushrooms and ayahuasca had movements, um, and ketamine wasn't as much of you know an anti subculture or whatever. Like it wasn't yeah. involved with Woodstock or whatever. It was a little right. bit easier to take that a medicinal route and feel yeah. very clinical. Whereas, yeah. you know, people, mushrooms were basically the equivalent of like reefer madness because they open up your yeah. mind a little bit. Hippy, hippy products, you know, versus uh, you know, a fine like you said, a fine pharmaceutical. Um, I always heard about ketamine and, you know, like in clubs, it was like a drug yeah. club drug and I've never been one for, uh, anonymous powder drugs. I've never trusted those. Obviously my, uh, my whole life is about not trusting these things and then verifying it for my, my colleagues and friends. So, um, yeah, that doesn't appeal to me, um, now or, or in the future, but the, the natural products for sure, there's, uh, there's so much power in these plants, uh, even unknown at this point. Uh, and there's some really great pioneers. Um, in the industry, they're doing great work to to help popularize them. I'm. Uh, I'll let Mike go after this. I'll, one of the one comment I have is that kind of like what you're talking about, like you know, not being maybe a a club scene or anything. But I also just think the the idea of doing something dissociative in, in a uh, like lab as someone with like major white coat syndrome, like that makes me think of like horrible trips. Like the idea of being in yeah. a white room with the person I don't know taking something dissociative is is crazy to me. Yeah. You know, I've, I've sort of, uh, oddly tried to volunteer for a few of those, uh, never been a good candidate because I think of probably cause my experience in the not white rooms. Um, but you know, my first mushroom experience was in a, you know, at 10,000 feet in the high Sierras near a brook, uh, wow. by a pile with moss and wildflowers. And, you know, you know, that was, that's where it should happen in my opinion. Um, you know, with, with family, uh, in fact, uh, and at a very early age actually. And that's, that's. That's when the magic happens. You you know it's in a, these therapies in the white room, like you said. I think the some of the original um, research was like end of life stage cancer patients. I think people helping people, and we have a friend of the family that that does that exactly work as the therapist or a psychologist, sorry, psychiatrist that does that work. He does amazing work. I'm not going to mention names, but if you you know look into that, he's prominent in the mushroom industry. I can imagine. He's doing these this work, um, like I said, in these sort of like controlled settings. But these are people who are already living in beds in hospitals that are basically, they have a couple of days left. They want to make peace with the whole process and they have a remarkable experience. And then, you know, they, they shed fear and they shed ego. Um, when I took ayahuasca last year in March and I've, I've changed from the standpoint of like, I've just surrender to things that scare me and surrender to, you know, not that I focus on the, my own death, but I, I've, I mean, basically when I had my experience, I feel like I had died. And so I have experienced now being dead or dying and I appear less. Um, and for me, it just, it, it taught me just basically just realize you can't control everything and you need to let go. Um, so that, that kind of work in those scenarios where you're basically in life patients, um, I can see that happening, but for like depression or addiction stuff, I don't know. I don't know how that would, like you said, I don't know if that would be, um, a cool scene or not, not, not for me at least. Yeah. I feel, I feel what you feel about, uh, um, needing to be, I mean, if you're using something natural that comes from the earth, I would prefer to be using it in a, in earth. uh, in, 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 in an earth, right. In, in, yeah. in, a, in a way like that. Um, yeah. yeah, it just feels like it would be much more of a connection, uh, yeah. you know, For being sure. the fifth on any of that sort of thing. But if I were <laughs> involved, you know, I, that would be how I'd feel about it. 
Mike, Mike, you looked like you had something you had to say before. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. So you have the fentanyl crisis going on. You've you've mentioned that you don't want to like be taking random stuff in a club or whatever, yeah. but there's very clearly a risk and a problem out there. From yeah. your perspective, like let's say, what would you tell my cousin who's uh, 18 years old entering college and everything? Like, how do you how would how would you even go about the drugs? Like, would you just tell them to stay stay the f away from them or like what? Uh, yeah, you know, just the other day they busted like I think it was 250 pounds of fentanyl in Orange County, which is you know I live in Orange County. This this stuff could have passed by my home, or you know if I was in the business of buying drugs from people I didn't know, they were in the powdered form, or you know or had teenage kids or college kids. That's scary. That's enough to kill like millions of people, and that stuff's really really strong. And it was it was here. It made it through the border. And it was just a, a random traffic stop. It wasn't like they were, that's the car, let's get it. It was like, they probably didn't signal. And then the cop figured out something was off and they figured out and like, so yeah, to your, to your rel- friends and relatives, I, I mean, I say, keep it natural. I mean, you know, um, I have still not taken, uh, ecstasy and originally when it was available, when I was in high school, it was more like on principle, like that shit was 25 bucks a pill. And I knew for a fact, it didn't cost them $25 a pill and it was the economic robbery that I was like, I'm going <laughs> to contribute to this fraud. And it could have been an amazing experience. And I have friends that have had really great times. And even today, uh, currently people, I know people who take it, you know, from a medicinal standpoint, um, you know, a therapy and whatnot, and it's pretty powerful stuff, but I've just always been, I don't know, but afraid, just more cautious about the chemicals, chemical drugs, um, because you just, you can't, I mean, you look at pot, you can look at the flower, you can see it's pot. You look at, um, mushrooms, you can look at mushrooms and see it's mushrooms. Um, some sort of at least visual organoleptic identification possible. White powder, you really need chemical tests. And I don't know if they're still around, uh, but there was a company called Dance Safe. They used to populate the the raves. Um, and I think it was a nonprofit. I have no idea how they didn't get busted all the time. Maybe they did, but they would, you, you, uh, you know them, uh, uh, they would be around in, in, a, in a, what they were called raves back then, but EDM concerts now, I guess, <laughs> they rebranded, everything's rebranded. And they would offer a service where you basically scratch your ecstasy and make sure that you have pure ecstasy and then be like, have a great time. And it was a, it was a free service, as I believe. I don't know if they're still around, but I mean, hats off to them for being pioneers in quality in a, you know, scary industry. They, they actually make a lot of social media content now. I, I don't yeah. know how they don't get busted. It seems like, you know, Maybe where there's do. smoke, there's fire, it would be easy to bust them, but they make a lot of really helpful content. I think it's stay dance safe. It's some some sort of version of that. Yeah. Um, and they sell reagent tests. Oh, uh, uh, little kits, right? Yes. Which is not, you know, HBLC. Better than nothing. Well, I mean, if you test for commonly found, like, you know, additives, right? If you could test for fentanyl, yeah. you would you would know, like, hey, if it if it goes yeah. purple or whatever, you don't right. touch this. Right. It's funny. They they get a lot of comments from probably people like us who would caution, like, hey, that doesn't mean it's necessarily safe. Or a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely is some sort of risk mitigation, right? Yeah. Like, like you're at least, uh, uh, testing for things that are, they're often found, but there's a lot of, and I don't need to tell you this, of course, but like, there's, there's a lot of things that are easily faking the stuff for it that, yeah. uh, you know, research chemicals that could, you know, severely put you into a bad mental state, if not keeping yeah. you there for a long time. Yeah, for sure. You know, I just, yeah, I'm on their that. website. It looks like they, they have a new and approved fentanyl, fentanyl test strip. So yeah. you might know that you don't have that. It doesn't necessarily mean you're getting what yeah. you think I mean, you're getting, but at least I mean, it's not fentanyl. I mean, the cops could do it in the, in, right in the, by your car, right? So, I mean, they, there's obviously these uh, reagent kits, like you mentioned, too. And, it, you know, Dance Safe was, in a sense, aiding and abetting illegal activities, but the, clearly they they never got in enough trouble to shut down. I, I imagine they got some flack and they got lawsuits and whatnot. 
Um, but I think they did an amazing thing back in the day. And I'm just happy that they're still around offering the service because fentanyl wasn't around when we were kids and that was, maybe it was, but it wasn't uh, a traded street drug. And that's stuff is very scary, very scary uh, to the point where like any white powder drug or anything synthetic is off my, not just because of that, but also because of that <laughs> off my radar forever. I, I, I find that really interesting and compelling. And when you, when you blow that up to the scale of what the dietary supplement industry is, and you realize how many manufacturers are just importing, you know, oil drums of yep. white powder. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen contract manufacturers test stuff and it be very much a different thing entirely than what they're yeah. looking for. Yeah. I mean, like, like talking like, like estrogen birth control instead of yeah. leucine, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's pretty scary to think about the fact that people are manufacturing what tons of powder that yeah. they don't even know what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, China will sell you what you want. If you want the best quality stuff, China will provide it to you and it'll be the best quality stuff you can imagine. If you also want to pay $2 a pound, you're mm -hmm. going to get $2 a pound stuff. And so, you know, unfortunately the FDA, they made GMP's good manufacturing practices in 2007, they, the republished version. And they said, basically use sci uh, scientifically valid methods, not scientifically validated scientifically valid methods. So, you know, there's a, that, that those two words mean something, but what it doesn't mean is it, it doesn't mean the right technique. It basically means throw some science at it and maybe we'll see in court. And so there are techniques in this industry like FTNIR and FDIR that basically a probe shines a light out of powder, bounces back an amplitude of something, creates a fingerprint. You compare that fingerprint to something else that is already in a digital library of that machine and you're good to go. Um, when we started the lab, and I, like I mentioned, I was in college in chemistry and I was sharing that technique with my professors. I'm like, well, that's made for fine chemicals. That technology shines light at, at fine chemicals, looks at bond angles and, you know, other compounds, bounces back and says, this is, you know, estrogen birth control as an example, or leucine that when you do that for botanicals or complicated powders of mixtures, it's, it gets more complicated, more complicated. Now we rely on algorithms, which I'm not a huge fan of them these days. You know, they, they are, you know, said to be neutral, but they're not, you know, this chat GPT thing is insane. Um, and people are using it to get data. It's, it's they're rewriting definitions and history and, you know, where's my encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, that's where, that's where the knowledge was static. Right. <laughs> so the point I'm making is that there are all sorts of techniques that one, a kind of manufacturer couldn't use to identify and satisfy the GMPs. And they're not always the right way. And the FDA is simply not staffed enough to to go in and get all those guys. So, man, can you imagine if the bodybuilders taken leucine, but it ends up being estrogen body uh, birth control? I mean, completely different <laughs> effects. Yeah, it yeah. Is. I mean, it's 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 a wild thought process. I mean, and it, it really, would you like dumb it down and really think about it? Like, there are people that are just getting giant tubs of white powder from China and saying that that probably is an amino acid and just throwing it in and selling it to millions of people. Well, it reminds me of the vaping industry. I mean, our old lab, we had a, um, some guys that basically when I would leave the lab, they would come to work and they were, um, I think they were tattoo artists. And so they would leave the tattoo shop and then come to work at night. And when you open up their big bay door, there was basically these 50 gallon drums and some chemical from China versus some chemical from China and like a vape cartridge machine. And these guys were just basically randomly buying stuff off the internet and putting them into cartridges and selling them. And then kids would basically take that and freebase it. That's what it is, by the way, to go from that liquid into your, into the gas form is freebasing, uh, which has a really bad connotation for other things. Yeah. They're basically freebasing this unknown mixture of chemicals right into your lungs in about two seconds, heartbeat, heartbeat, brain, 
and it's it's in your brain. I mean, it's affecting your neurons that fast. I mean, tobacco, you know, cannabis, you take a hit, you feel it instantly, pretty much, right? You, a vape pen, same thing, but at least the cannabis, you can see it. These vape juice cartridges, another, it's a whole other topic. We can do a podcast on that. I mean, I, I hear some people are not smoking cigarettes because they're vaping these things instead. And perhaps it's better because there's less particulate matter in the vape cartridges versus the tobacco smoke, but you don't know what you're getting. And it's not regulated very well, if at all. I mean, remember that vitamin E acetate scare with kids getting popcorn lung from their cannabis yeah. vape? I mean, that was, was completely unknown why or when that was happening until they figured it out. And that was all over the place. And, you know, young children ruining their lungs forever with that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, smoking is a whole other topic that we could spend another yes. hour on. Yeah. But the, the, I, I, I definitely, I, it's funny because vape cartridges, both in nicotine and cannabis, are so widely used now. And it's seen as so innocuous and I'm not convinced, you know, no. I don't necessarily think it's bad, but I don't know if it's any better. No, I'm, I would say it's, I would say it's worse just because the unknown capacity and, and hear, hear this out when the laws changed, when cannabis was legalized, it was to combust the flour in a pipe. You basically use fire, you burn flour, you inhale the smoke. That was that. And then it went edible based on oils from the flour. And that was like the next version, which was never made legal. That was never the intended use. And then it turned into fine extracts and or synthetic versions, free-based in battery cartridge pens from China. We have strayed so far from the original intention. My example is if I wanted to make a chamomile product, a product of a flour that's been drink by people for thousands of years, you know, before bed. But if I want to take, I'm going to th chamomile noids, some chemical I just made up, right? And isolate them and put them in a, you know, a glycerin cartridge and inhale it, I'd be in jail and my money would be gone because you can't huff natural products. There's no inhalation products allowed in our industry. That is not a delivery mechanism given to us. That's strictly for pharmaceuticals, but you know, tobacco and cannabis, you have to have a blast, go for it, right? It's like, is it crazy, uh, divergent rules that are applied whichever way they want to go. I, I'm amazed that it's gotten as far as it has. Um, but what it calls, comes all back down is the quality of these ingredients. They should be checked and the labs should be like your biggest asset. We are, we are gatekeepers to quality uh, and we should be as transparent as we could possibly be. We should share all the data. There's no reason not to um, and trust. You know, it's, it's not a four letter word. It's, it's cousins, a five letter word. Um, it's really, you know, transparency is a vehicle for which trust is communicated. Uh, and my friend, my friend, Scott Steinford said those words, um, transparency is a vehicle for which trust is communicated. Um, and that's, that's the only value proposition we have left is to really be transparent about the quality of these product whether it's a vape cartridge with something in it, at least show the lab results, at least do that. Um, or it's chamomile or if it's a psilocybin uh, product or say John's word, there's absolutely no reason to hide that data to you know, give comfort and confidence that you have what's actually, you know, in the, uh, in the bottles, actually um, what's on the labels in the bottle. Um, well, it's pretty simple, you know? Well, I, I see you on a bunch more podcasts with us. I think there's a lot <laughs> to be discussed. Um, I, I, I thank you so much for, for the hour. Yeah. It's been really, really good, but it, it, it all, almost left me with more questions than I do have answers. <laughs> so we'll have to continue this again. Yeah. It was my pleasure. A lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thank you. Mike, did you have a question or something? I do. I mean, do you have a hard stop in four minutes? Or what, I do have a hard stop in four minutes, but that's just an invitation to do this more again. Excellent. Yeah. Can I ask one last question? Yeah, yeah. So if I made you emperor for a day, um, we mentioned a lot of things. Like, what would you change? Like the GMPs or anything? Like you mentioned you want, you know, things that yeah. are scientifically validated, not just scientifically valid. Is there like yeah. one law you could 
I would uh, I would have the FDA dictate exactly what methods to use for exactly what tests. They said identity testing, blast, good to go. It should be specific methods that are they're fit for purpose. Um, you know, light boxes with your phone that identify plants in power form. I mean, I can't understand how that's legally used. Uh, we should be looking at chemical fingerprints against verified reference materials. So, yeah, Ember for a day, I would I would uh, change the rules and make should make the FDA be very specific about how to test things. Um, and then, you know, I'll go over to the other industry and pharmaceuticals and we'd have a blast if I was the emperor for the day though, <laughs> <laughs> but I would be uh, quickly, quickly, quickly murdered, uh, as we can imagine. So, <laughs> yeah. awesome. cool. well, thanks so much for your time, Alon. Yeah, guys, my pleasure. A lot of Thank fun. Thank you.